listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Wirt and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Welcome back, Manufactured listeners. Though it's only been about eight weeks since we wrapped season two, it also feels like a lifetime ago. Between some R&R over the holidays, rioters storming the U.S. Capitol, and new lockdown restrictions in Europe, it feels like we're living in a different world. But amidst all this, we've been busy planning season three. And we are pretty excited about it. When we first embarked on this project back in June 2020, our goal was pretty loosely defined. We wanted to showcase and elevate supplier voices on sustainable fashion. The underlying theme of season one became the absence of trust between supply chain actors. So in season two, we set out to identify the ingredients for achieving trust between supply chain actors. And although trust seems like such a nebulous topic, each of the people that we talked to in their own way pointed to another common thread, an unequal distribution of financial risk. What we heard again and again was that trust seems to be the result of partnership. So in season three, we want to continue to celebrate and elevate supplier perspectives on sustainable fashion, but we also want to take a close look at partnership. What exactly do partnership and shared risk look like? What tools do we have or do we need to know whether partnership is happening? How do we hold players who break the rules of partnership accountable? And what's even more exciting is that thanks to the generous support of the GIZ Fabric Project, we'll be releasing double the amount of content. Our interviews will still be split into two parts, each about 30 to 40 minutes, but both will be released at the same time, in the same week. The GIZ Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. The Fabric Project does a lot of really great work, and one of their many initiatives is the online seminar series Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry. It was through our collaboration with the Fabric Project that we had the immense good fortune of connecting with our guest today, Edwin Kerr. Back in November 2020, Edwin was a speaker on the 11th seminar within the Getting Through the Crisis Together series, which aimed to take stock of where the industry is now, more or less one year into the pandemic. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll introduce Edwin properly in a minute, but first, one last announcement. We'll also be teaming up with Transformers Foundation on some of our podcast content, as well as some live events. More on that to come. Okay, on to today's episode. Edwin is one of those big thinkers, able to cut through the noise, able to reframe things that many of us, ourselves included, have implicitly and unconsciously thought about in one way, in a completely new and different way. As part of our preparation for this episode, Edwin said to us something to the effect of, the problem with the fashion industry isn't that we are speeding up and getting faster. It's that we are getting the wrong stuff to the market faster. This casual and seemingly effortless turn of phrase just embodies Edwin's ability to breathe new life into tired conventional wisdom. 
Edwin is currently CEO of the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textile and Apparel, commonly referred to as HK Rita. Prior to that, he worked in senior supply chain roles within companies like Walmart, Donna Karen, and Paley's Shoes, as well as an educator at the Walton School and the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, to name just a few. In this first part of our conversation, Edwin shares a bit of context about his own career and HK Rita, setting the stage for a reflective discussion about sustainability frameworks, which Edwin defines as the shorthand we use to make sense of the world. And speaking of the frameworks, he suggests that making sense of supply chains requires thinking about them on three levels: physical, financial, and data. He shares why he's most excited about the data supply chain and why he thinks it has the potential to disrupt the industry. We get into which data exactly he thinks will disrupt the industry. Where will it come from? How will different supply chain actors use it? What potential does it have for shaking up brand supplier roles and relationship? And how will it intersect with and shape the way physical and financial supply chains evolve? We leave off with a big question: If forecasts are moving away from past-oriented regression models, and if a rapidly changing world is making it harder and harder for brands to accurately forecast, what comes next? We pick up this question in part two of the conversation, which, if you just can't get enough of Edwin, you can listen to immediately, since we've also released it today. We get into big questions about how to move away from purely transactional supply chain relationships and what it will take to get supply chain actors behaving as one team. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at Manufactured Underscore Podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series "Getting Through the Crisis Together: Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry," check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. When I was very young,、uh, like out of when I once I finished university, I had this map about how I thought I should live my life, and sort of in one third, sort of first one third of your life, you should really try to learn as much as you can and, and be a really good listener and, and a scholar. The second third of your life, you should be a contributor. So, so you do, you operate, and, and and you get your hands dirty, and you you get real practical experience, so that you build on that theoretical foundation that you acquired in in, in university, so that you can see, oh, how does that work in real life? And I thought the last third of my life should be about documenting your mistakes,、uh, your learning, so that. Um, you have more impact that way. Yeah, your 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 value is no longer as an as an operator. Your value is more as a guy who did stuff, and this is what you shouldn't do, or here's what I learned, and you know, you know what I mean. So so that's kind of sort of was is is a general framework for me to 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 guide me through my career. It's not the way you do it. Most people promote themselves, you know, and 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 work their way through something and become an expert. And, and I always felt that because I'm 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 very、um, dyslexic, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible student. They always have, so I'm, I'm much better as a generalist. So as, as a generalist, you just try to broaden as much as possible, whereas most people tend to specialize. I, 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 I think the Western way of looking at things like career and, 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 and things like that, I think is a little bit too engineered and too, too mechanical. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think we, we are all biological systems and, and biological systems are more complicated and more nuanced and more subtle uh, than very mechanical engineered systems. And I think mechanical engineered systems, if we live our lives as engineers, it's very predictable, but I think it's also going to be quite boring. And we, we lock ourselves into these tracks uh, that doesn't allow us to, to have, you know, detours and, and interesting explorations along the way. Maybe you could tell us a bit about HK Rita and why for you, I mean, you've said mm. that now you're in this stage of your career where you're focused on, on, on sharing. Um, so what, why was HK Rita that for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, it wasn't me looking for something to do. The, 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 the Hong Kong government came to me and said, we've got this research center, this applied research center, uh, and, and it needs some leadership. Could you look into it? Basically that it was, it was, uh, about as general as that. Uh, the HK Rita is, is an applied research center with a man, mandate to fill a gap. And, and the gap is that there are all these great universities in, in Hong Kong and in, and in greater China doing all sorts of uh, basic research. So a lot of publications and all that good stuff filled with theories. And then there's also a lot of commercial companies uh, uh, coming up with new innovations on materials and machinery and things like that, but those are quite um, close to market. You know, are, it's it's uh, those are fairly safe investments. And what they found is that there is a gap in the middle, which are things that are are a little bit far away from the market, a little bit risky, some unknowns, and and usually things that are cross disciplined, and 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 that's sort of all falling into this black hole. Um, and so the, the setup of the of the, this research center is an applied research center. We don't publish uh, by intent, by design, so that we're not focused on on uh, on, on on theory. We don't um, we we don't have a lot of pressure to make money money or make ends meet uh, because we're we're funded operationally by the Innovation and Technology Fund, which is this big pool of money that the Hong Kong government has set aside for innovation. And, and actually, in, in one conversation uh, years ago, during one of my first um, meetings with one of the, the elected officials in government, I said, well, would you like me to come up with a, uh, a return on investment or, or a, a, some sort of a, a, a pathway to, to profitability uh, for the center? And he looked at me in horror and said, absolutely not. You know, I don't want you to work on stuff that's safe. I want you to work on stuff that is uh, that can create new value, new innovation. I want you, we, we're paying for all this so that you have the space to take risks and, and think more outside the box. And so that's kind of sort of what we do, uh, a useful um, applied uh, solutions to, to the challenges and opportunities that are in the marketplace, which may be a little bit, um, a little bit of unknown, uh, uh, maybe some, some risk, and, and maybe it needs uh, a little bit of time and, and different domain uh, people from different domains to come together and work. So it's 
interdisciplinary, I guess, or multidisciplinary, or whichever word you want to mm -hmm. choose, sort of in the academic sense, but also in the sense that you're bringing together people from different parts of the of the, of right. the fashion industry. Right, right, right. I mean, there, so there's there's two beliefs here. One is that real world, uh, real world solutions require. Uh, multidisciplined uh, approaches. You have to solve the business case problem. You have to solve the the, the logistics uh, supply chain problem. You have to solve the science problem, uh, and 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 you have to put it all together uh, before you have a real solution that works. So so those are the, the challenges that that we work on. One and then the the second belief is that um, what we're trying to do here is to create this platform so that different parts of the supply chain or the value chain can work together and and so and because we all come at it with different perspectives it's it's like we're all looking at the same statue but from different angles and different perspectives and so we see different things but it's it's the same challenge uh, and 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 we can get to the answer faster if we work together so so we work on a a machinery to solve a certain problem we want to pull in the manufacturer we want uh, we want to pull in the material supplier we want to pull in the the end user uh the the, the guy who wants products to come out of the other end of the, the, the machine so that in the process of designing and creating and fabricating this we all understand what's in the system uh, we all have an opportunity to contribute to the design and the creation of the system. So we all have ownership of it. And then we also, at the end, have a very fast road to market because we have we have actually solved the problem simultaneously while we're trying to create uh, the solution in, in the first place. So so it's faster, it's more comprehensive, it, it, it is more inclusive. In our earlier conversation, I've heard I heard you and your what you just described wasn't necessarily about supply chains. It, it sounds like it's more of a, a general approach to how to take on problems. But that you know, I like this analogy of having a statue with different people looking at it in different ways, and it reminds me of actually our previous conversation when you talked about supply chains as well, and you described supply chains as having three different angles or perspectives the physical the financial and and the data right um right and and so um it's interesting to see that i don't know that that sort of replicated across different ways of yeah. of uh, or different articulated in different contexts of, of your work can yeah. you t tell us about these three supply chains physical okay. financial and data so, so I can talk about, but let me take a step backwards. One of my current interests is building these types of frameworks today. Uh, and, and frameworks basically are just shorthands for us to make sense of the world around us. And it's basically our value system, our belief system, what we think reality looks like. And, and, and the, the reason for that is that our framework determines whether we can come up with useful or more uh, or accurate answers to the challenges in front of us. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of that, and then I'll answer your question. So, so if you're superstitious and you have a bad quarter, your solution uh, to how you get business turned around is you go buy more goldfish to put behind your receptionist. You get the feng shui master to come in to rearrange your furniture. 
I mean, that's a real problem-solving st- uh, strategy there, right? And, 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 and Jesse, I see you're, you're laughing, but this, is, this happens in real life. Or, or if you are, uh, and, and it could go the other way too. I mean, if you are an engineer, you would go and figure out, you know, what are the inefficient machineries? Where are the bottlenecks? And you solve your problems that way. All that to say that our approach to life and our approach to the challenges in front of us is very much determined by the, the, these frameworks that we look at, at, at things. And so it's very important because if you get the wrong framework, it, you're, you're just in, in, in trouble. And then, and then oftentimes, because we are time starved, we don't take that first step. And, and, and the way to think about that is today, if I walk out uh, of my office and uh, I, I walk and I'm in Hong Kong and, and I uh, have in my hand the, the, the most detailed, the most accurate, the latest version of the street maps of Shanghai, Every step I take will be wrong. Every turn I take will be wrong. It's not that the map is wrong. It's, it's, it's just that I'm using the wrong tool to solve the, the problem that, that I'm in right now. So, so the first thing I would say is that we, we need to start experimenting with and start constructing these frameworks because it helps us solve problems faster, helps us to see the world clearer, uh, and, and, and it helps us to develop a common a way to start a conversation with people. If I can convince you that this is an, a, a good way to look at the world and we can share that framework, then all of a sudden we can we can we have the same language to talk about the, the, the problems that we're in. I, one of the things I wonder when I hear you describe that is like, but maybe we already have a framework, especially within sustainable fashion space, but it's maybe mm-hmm. not quite the right framework. And so at least this is, one of my questions for you is so is could part of the task also be taking apart that framework absolutely absolutely because and how do you go about that because that's not i think that's almost harder it it, it is our belief (laughs) systems our belief systems is the last thing we abandon i mean we will bend reality to to fit things into our existing belief systems that's why you know People don't change religions or things like that, but that's how they make sense of, of, of the world. And, and so whether, whether we live consciously or unconsciously may, may ride on that, uh, on, on this. Um, do we have the, the, the time resource uh, and can we stand the scrutiny to, for us to, to have uh, regular reviews of these belief systems that we hold? Because because technology changes, situation changes, and we have to we, we have to uh, have have these 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 discussions uh, every now and then. My, my my I was in a conversation with my wife. I'll give you an example, and we were talking about and and the phone rang, and I said, "Why do we have a, a landline? Why do we still have a phone?" And and she looked at me and says, "Because you insist on having one five years ago." And, and I said, yeah, because, and I said, yeah, I remember five years ago, I was always worried about the power going out or we'll, we'll have a storm and then we'll, we'll lose, we'll, we'll lose contact. And the only thing that works uh, when I was a kid is, is, is the landline. Mm-hmm. So we should always have a landline. But I said, you know, now cellular technology is a much more robust, much more mature technology. That, that decision five years ago taken today is is wrong, right? I mean, it's I no longer need that piece of uh, insurance, and, and and my three sons sort of roll their eyes because 
None of them have ever had a, a, a landline in their lives in any of the places that they ever lived. <laughs> um, so, so, so situations change, and we should constantly reassess and, and, and reevaluate. And, and in the context of sustainability, I think that is that is very important too. Because uh, so this phrase about science-based uh, um, analysis, science-based decisions, I think that is uh, that is something that absolutely is something we should do but that is also something that we need to go in with with um with this openness so that the science uh really addresses these concerns and then we should also be open to look at the adjacencies which is there are solutions that are developed for other uh industries uh that you we can borrow very quickly to solve our problems. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we come up with, with something that we don't understand. Uh, and it's much easier to borrow something rather than to you know, reinvent the wheel, uh, if you will. Um, your original question about the way to look at the three uh, uh, supply mm. chains is that if you look at the characteristics of, of supply chains, there are really different things that we do in, in the supply chain. And an easy way to look at it is to look at it uh, as as the physical supply chain making things uh, um, and transporting things, if you will. The financial supply chains is, is where who is paying for it, who is making money with it, uh, uh, where does where do all the transactions happen, uh, and, and then the, the the data supply chain or the information supply chain or the service supply chain, if you will, and which is that what what is all the the uh, what is all the knowledge that is driving the, those those supply chains? Uh, and, and the reason for that, if you look at these three supply chains, is that they are valued differently. So currently, uh, um, the, the 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 physical supply chain, the manufacturing supply chain, the logistics supply chain, is is deflationary. It it is. Uh, you know, no, I think the example is that no buyer will pay next season the same price that they purchased something. Uh, one season or two seasons ago, they're always looking for efficiencies and they're always looking for discounts uh, because the world has not run out of uh, third world countries or cheaper countries that they can, they can manufacture the same thing from. And and manufacturers have not run out of uh, uh, efficiencies so that they can improve on how they manufacture the same product uh, year on year, season on season. So unless you are constantly uh, either chasing, uh, I think the term is chasing the bottom needle, or or you are you are chasing for a lot of efficiency improvements. You just have to live with this deflation that that has been going on for the last thirty years in the in the apparel supply chain. Currently, the financial supply chain is is free uh, because uh, there is interest, effective interest uh, rates uh, is zero, so money is is free, and so people. Buyers will not uh, do not want to pay for 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 the for the financial costs within the supply chain. So they expect the risks, they expect the the interest, and ex- expect um, that supply chain to be to to come without any any uh, associated costs with it. So they won't pay for, for 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 those services. The data supply chain is the most valuable supply chain today. Uh, because there are uh, there's so many opportunities to look at 
the the um, what we're learning with each transaction within the supply chain. Uh, people are willing to pay for systems and, and, and services associated with the information supply chain. Everybody would pay for anything f- uh, about you uh, and me as consumers, what we like, what we want, uh, what we would be likely to pay, when we would pay for it, how we would pay for it. Uh, all those things are very valuable to, to, uh, uh, to the marketplace right now. And, and that is why, I mean, and then the way to look at it is you, if you look at the market cap of the most valuable companies in the world, they are all data or information driven uh, uh, companies and they are and not manufacturing companies. Uh, companies. And if you uh, go back 10 years, it's, it's, it's not the case. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the Microsofts and Googles and Apples of the world were way down. And then the, the Exxon Mobiles, uh, uh, of the world are, um, uh, and city core of the world are, are the biggest companies, uh, back then. So, so create, the question then becomes for us is how do you, how do you create value and how do you survive in each of these supply chains? And, and, and I think the context of when we talked about that was that for manufacturers, if you're purely focused as the, as the labor component, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing the rock up the hill every day. Um, and, 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 and the challenge is to, but, but by the way, that is why every iPhone says designed in California, made in China. And the implication there is that the value is all created in California. China is just where, where, where we schlep things together. It's interesting because it reminds Jesse and I have had several conversations over the last few months with people um, who are making goods um, about investment and ways that they've sought capital. So one of them was a is a manufacturer who's also a brand. Another one is a U.S. based manufacturer who used to be in the book industry and invented this technology to basically facilitate on-demand manufacturing. And both of them spoke to kind of the fact like marketing themselves as having a technology or that that's what, or having a, you know, being a tech somehow being like in the case of the, 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 the guy who was doing on-demand manufacturing in the book industry and then took that to the fashion industry yeah, he he had to he getting investment required talking about himself as a technology company rather than a manufacturing company. Right, right. And if you look at the value market valuation of uh, manufacturing companies, and 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 you look at and you cross reference that to to uh, the these tech firms, you'll find very different numbers. You know, uh, who knows if 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 Amazon or or Tesla are making money? But look at their market caps, right? You know. Um, I think that's what's driving that that phenomenon. It's, it's just that we, uh, and and I think that too is a belief, uh, and, and that belief can change. This is these are all based on sentiments, right? Investment or money is not a favor in manufacturers because they're heavy. They have to chase, as you said, labor cost, efficiency, productivity, and they have lots of uh, infrastructures. So investment favors more like light companies. That is the yeah. technical firms. Yeah. That is data. However, you also mentioned that data has lots of value. But the funny thing is that data on a larger scale has values. Data on a small scale has no value. Like, for instance, alone, myself, how I consume Close every year that has no value at all because 
alone, I cannot support a brand. My consuming need cannot support a brand. But if you have one million people like me sharing the similar preference, then that data is very valuable. So eventually, if we think about everything you talked just now, and also the interviews we had before, as Kim mentioned, the manufacturer in USA, he patented his way of production. Eventually, he can sell his uh, data or his way of production as a technical company. And uh, the interview we had a few days ago about how difficult to find the investment for a manufacturer producing in a traditional way. And that just means in this situation, maybe there is only one way for manufacturers to get out of the, 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 the to, or to answer the challenge which is try to find the data and valuable data in their daily operation. Yeah. Is that the well, right we, understanding? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I recently had a, a, uh, a, a moderated a panel of manufacturers that were, you know, they, they, they were aggrieved. You know, they, these were manufacturers from Pakistan, Bangladesh, Vietnam, uh, and, and China. And they had a bad year, 2020. They had customers who wouldn't pay, customers who went back to negotiate on, on new prices, and and uh, customers who kept, you know, pushing back the, the delivery dates and things like that. And they, and and uniformly, I, I I sort of I listened to them sort of talk about their experience, and then I said, what do you think is the solution? And and everybody said, oh, if only we had the right data. And 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 I I challenged them on that. Because I think there's a couple things. And one, I go back to this idea of the framework. The, the framework basically is an analytic tool, right? How do I make sense of the, of the data that is in front of me? And if you have the wrong analytical tool or no analytical tool, data is no use. It's just a jumble of numbers, right? So, so the, the, the value is, is, is both in the amount of data. So a million shoppers, uh, what do they do? But also making sense of all that data. What what patterns do I learn from this? So so the analytics I think is 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 very important because then you get into situations which I, I, I challenge them. I, I said, have you all? And if you've been to business school, have you all heard the the bullwhip effect? Um, have you played the beer game? Which are these are classic MBA types of exercises that you go through. Which is that 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 if you just look at data. We all tend to overreact and we, we amplify the, the, the reaction. And, and so what happens is the further away you are from the customer, the, the, the bigger the mistakes are created. So, so my challenge is that even if you have information, it's, it's no good unless you have the right way to, to look at the information and make sense of it. So, so, so that, that's one thing I would say. But I, I do agree that getting out of just providing value as as the as the banker or as the manufacturer is is important and you have to start providing some services and i'll give you an example of what i mean by that and, and that is like one if you look at how many times goods are handled between the manu but the manufacturer when it leaves the factory to the time the ultimate user purchases it you see a lot of wasted effort right it goes to the wrong place it it, it gets uh, um uh it gets stored in, in waiting for something to happen. It gets moved around. It gets combined in, into, into, into different combinations. And a lot of that handling isn't creating any value. And in fact, in the process of all that handling, the customer 
can't buy the product because it's not available on the shelf or in the in the e-commerce website that he's looking at. It is it is in transit or in some warehouse somewhere. So one of the services you can provide is how do we shorten that route to the customer? And fundamentally, the question you have to ask there is that why are we doing all this stuff when when the customer says, I want this white T-shirt and the, and the supplier says, oh, I have white T-shirt. Why can't we just link those two up so that it, the, the, it's a straight line, right? And, and cut out a lot of the, the wasted time and effort and, and the complexity that we go through right now. Well, I have two questions. My first question is, I'm, I'm curious, the suppliers that you were on this panel with, which data they wanted because when I was a factory manager, the data that I, well, one of the data pieces of data that I really wanted was insight actually into the brand's inventory levels and how well they were managing to sell the products that I was making for them so that I was in a better position to anticipate kind of how much capacity I would need. And um, and so, and and that sort of brings me then to my second question, which is to your point about why supply chains are so complex and so long and have so many steps. To me, my the question I would put back to you is, but doesn't that have to do with the distribution of financial risk? Because yes. the supplier, the supplier, you know, the reason this is my take on it anyway from. And I don't have an MBA, but just from being a factory manager, is that the, the reason you the, the reason you subcontract is because it's a way. You know, when you have as a factory manager, what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep your orders and your capacity in equilibrium. And when you don't have any insight into the orders that are going to be coming, because you don't have data or insight into how well those goods are actually selling, then all you can really do is on the capacity side, if you imagine you have a scale with orders on one side and capacity on the other, and you have no idea what's going to land on the order side, then all you can do on the capacity side is to have a way that it can cheaply expand and contract to match whatever your orders are. Absolutely. And so, and so my, re- my question to you would be, okay, yes, a shorter forecasting horizon would lead to more accurate forecasts, which would reduce the overall risk and also shorten supply chains. However, the reason I think that we don't have that has to do with the distribution of financial risk, which maybe then gets us into like, well, what's the intersection of these two supply chains, the financial and the data? Right, right, right. So, so you, you raised um, some some great questions, and 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 I, I also think that you you were more you were farther along, uh, because when I asked the question, what data do you want? And basically, there was sort of a, a mumbling around the group, and basic, well, we we want to know on March first, can we ship the three hundred units that you ordered? You know, basically that was you know you know what I mean it, it's the I just want to get this stuff out of my factory and get paid. And and what mm. you're already asking is, well, that's the wholesaler or that's the importer. What's the what's the retailer like, and what is the consumer like? And, and you're exactly right. It's it's not only data, but accurate data and real time data. And 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 so that's where we go get into the analytics and, and the understanding of the analytics be, behind that is because you have to just because it 
the whole the importer ordered it doesn't mean it will wholesale, and just because it's wholesale doesn't mean it retails, right? So so it's it's a matter of figuring out how to how to clear some of those blind spots. Why did the brands uh, outsource the, the 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 financial supply chain and the physical supply chain in the first place? Think about that for a little bit, because when when Henry Ford built the Model T, he owned everything. He owned the forests to get the wood. He owned the coal mines to to get the coal. So that uh, and he owned the 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 manufacturing, the subcontractors. He owned the, the, the components. He owned the entire supply chain. Everything was under one roof in 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 Ford. When the when the brand owners discovered that they can't make money manufacturing and they can't, uh, there's no need for them to hang on to a lot of cash. They outsourced the unprofitable part of their business and kept the profitable part of their business. So in in the apparel world, it is all the consumer facing uh, bits of the business. So I'm going to be the brand manager. I'm going to be the the user interface between the retailer and everything else that goes behind that. I'm outsourcing because I can't figure out how to make money with it. And the the problem with that be, becomes one: there is a there's a technical disconnect. Right, the in-house skills to make things atrophy if you do that long enough. They just know how to deal with this side of the the problem, make things beautiful, but they can't figure out how to deal with this side of the problem, make things. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, so there there is a there is a there's an interface that is missing. These these two are coming at it from from different worlds and different perspectives. And what you're talking about is how do we create that interface so that we can take the same talk in the same language. The assumption here is that there is no evil retailer that wants to make life miserable for manufacturers. Because if you if you listen to some manufacturers talk, they think there's a villain out there. I said, there is no villain out there. There's ignorance out there. There's lack of clarity out there. And, and, and that's the challenge. So, so that's one thing I think is, is the existential situation we find ourselves in. The other challenge is that we are living with an obsolete supply chain. Right, we 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 are we are we are in a global supply chain that was built for another purpose, and and there there are multiple um, versions of it. But but in in general, the, the the problem is that this is a cheap FOB supply chain. We're going as far away as we can so that we can get the cheapest FOB for the for the uh, for the goods we want to produce. So it creates cheap products, but it doesn't create products that the consumer value. And consumers really are making purchasing decisions on how valuable is this? How much utility can I get out of this? And when you have that disconnect, that's when you get in trouble. You, you keep making all the stuff that nobody wants, or you, you keep making the stuff in the hopes that somebody w- would want it. What we want to do is, again, bridge that, that gap. So, so the types of information that you're asking for as a, as a manufacturer, I think, are the types of services that you want to be able to provide to your customer. Because the challenge is that uh, whether customers acknowledge it or not is is that they no longer have a way to do accurate forecasting. That's why they cancel stuff. That's why they push back stuff. That's why they want discounts and stuff. Because they can't, it, it is not the plan that they set out. Uh, everything has gone uh, um uh, it hasn't gone as the as the way they thought, and again, that's also is 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 a is a obsolescence, right? So we have a physical supply chain that is that is obsolete. 
very long, very complicated, very globalized. And then we have we have this this um, data supply chain that is also obsolete, right? Most purchasing decision is based on regression analysis today. What am I going to buy next season is based on what I sold last season. And there, and the, and most purchasing systems that you see in the marketplace today is 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 very good at at using do, doing those regression analysis. The problem is that the world changed fast and consumer tastes are, are changing faster than these systems can catch up with. So the inaccuracy are are getting bigger and bigger year on year, season on season. But we we continue to insist on on using these systems because we have so much sunk costs in 